Well, we are going to be in the book of Ruth again today. And Ruth has been a phenomenal book for us. It takes place around 3,200 years ago. And we don't know who the author of Ruth was. We know it was handed down. It was written generations later. And it was handed down in, uh, through oral history. And finally, somebody decided, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit prompted them, and they decided we need to write this story down so it's never forgotten. And that's how it, it has uh, gotten to us today, uh, because the Lord has preserved that. But it took time, uh, I mean, it took place in a, in a time in human history where God's people were not following Him. Uh, I know that's very difficult for us to even relate to nowadays, um, but... Uh, uh, what God does is uh, during those times, he raises up a few people to be godly people, to live according to his way, to show his blessings upon them, to encourage others to follow his ways also. Uh, in this case, he takes an older man who happens to be a widow, and he takes a younger woman who is also a widow. Ruth, being from Moab, was really at a disadvantage in Bethlehem because being a Moabitess, uh, being, a, being a woman from, from another country, uh, not, uh, you know, the language is not native and all those things. And, and, and the Jewish people can be pretty um, um, self-surrounding in a sense, you know what I mean? Kind of, uh, you're not one of us, and they kind of push people out if, if you're not careful, uh, if you're not friendly. And these two countries definitely were not friendly all the time. She had recently immigrated to Israel with her mother, uh, Naomi, and Ruth had been married for about 25 years, so she was probably somewhere between 22 and 26 years old. And you're like, what? Ten, you know, she got married? Yeah, she got married somewhere probably 12 to 14 to 16 years old. That's how it happened back then. They would take an older man who, who was established, maybe 15 or 20 years older than her, and they, the families would, would get together and they would say, hey, you know, uh, uh, how much dowry do you have? How much money would you bless us with if we gave our daughter to you in marriage? And that's how it worked back in that society. So, so Ruth is quite a bit younger than what Boaz would have been. Uh, she could run after all the, uh, all the different guys and try to entice someone to marry her. But instead, she chooses not to. She works hard. And she's watched by Boaz. She's watched by a man of righteousness. He observes who she talks to, how she acts, who she hangs around, how she acts around certain people. And no doubt he observes, uh, you know, she observes him in the same way. And this is a good point about uh, uh, the few that are in here um, that are, are still dating. Um, uh, you know, to watch people, to understand who they are, watch them around their friends, watch them around, uh, uh, watch him or her around, uh, uh, you know, the people they hang out with before you start pursuing them. Well, let's catch up in uh, kind of the story. Chapter 1, all the men die off. Thank you, Lord. I don't know why all the men die off. So, Ruth and Naomi and Oprah head back toward Jerusalem, I mean, Bethlehem, from Moab. And Naomi breaks down on the way and tells the girls, you just need to go back to Moab. I release you guys. And, and Orpah um, decided, okay, that sounds great. And she heads back. And Ruth says, no, I, I, where you go is where I go. Your God is now my God. Where you die, I will die. Where you buried, I will be buried there. Um, so your God is my God. So then, and, and we don't really see God working a lot in chapter 1. You know, we would almost look at that and say, well, man, where, where's God? Well, God is there. He's just working in the background. 
And that's like our lives. God is there and he's working in the background. We don't always see it. So chapter, chapter 2, we start to see God a little bit. Ruth decides we have to eat, which is a good decision, you know. She says, I will go out and I'll find favor. And boy, did she ever. She ended up in Boaz's field. She asserts herself and ends up, you know, up in the, in the field just working hard. And he watches over her and he blesses her with extra grain. Now, the first time he meets her, she is working hard in the field and, and he asks the foreman, well, who is this? <laughs> who is that out in the middle of my field? I don't recognize her. Who, who, you know, who is that? And he goes, Ruth the Moabite. And he's like, well, I've, I've heard, her, uh, heard about her. And then he talks to her. And within a couple of minutes of the beginning of the conversation, he turns the conversation to whom? Anyone? He turns the conversation toward God. This is an important point. He turns the conversation to God. And he says to her, and my clicker's not working, so if you, Stephanie, if you want to, there we go. Okay, now it's working. He says to her, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May, he, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He immediately turns to that, to, you know, the, to be safe, to be well fed, to be, you know, to be kept from predators and, and to provide and to nurture. Later, her great-grandson would write in Psalm 17, 8, hide me under the shadow of your wings. And then later in Psalms 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. These are the types of things that he shares with her. And on the first day he met her, he handed down for uh, you know, this, <coughs> the beginning the, of what would affect the family for generations to come. To the point uh, uh, where we see Boaz as a, as a type of Christ, and, and and David certainly writes things these things down in songs, and and you know, and that the, basically what Boaz is doing is giving Ruth something she desperately needed. She needed life through food. She needed salvation. She needed food, and she goes home with thirty pounds of grain more than anyone else. If she can get thirty pounds of grain a day. This would amount to 72 months worth of food over the 12 weeks that she would work. Because she would work six days a week. Because they would take the Sabbath off. This would amount to 2,160 pounds of barley and wheat. Now, we don't know if that's how much she got every day. We're just kind of extrapolating here. But you would imagine she would be exhausted by the end of harvest, wouldn't you? I mean, I would be. I mean, certainly you would be. Now, Naomi, who's back at home, who's become kind of bitter, and, 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 you know, many of us could say we could understand why. She's lost her, you know, all the men of her family. And she's like, well, who, who gave you all of this? Boaz? Well, well, I mean, and she starts to understand Boaz, and she starts remembering the name. <clears throat> oh, he's a relative. God has not forgotten us. And we start to see her attitude start to change. All the coincidences. This is happening, and and somebody grab me a glass of water. I got this cold thing that's killing me, so Gary's going, thank you. But but a relative, and she's like, God has not forgotten us. All the coincidences, everything, and she remembers the whole idea of a kinsman-redeemer concept. 
and a plan starts to hatch in our mind. And what comes with a plan? Hope. Hope is a powerful thing. They say that um, any time, thank you, they say that any time that that you can have hope for, for, it's really weird, people play the lottery, they say it increases their hope in their mind. Now, I'm not encouraging you you to go out and play the lottery, okay? I'm not saying that. But anytime you enter something to win something, you, your mind starts going toward that hope of, well, if I got it, what would happen? You know what I'm saying? So with this plan comes some hope. Ruth's hope was to survive and to find favor. But Naomi's hope goes much deeper. Naomi's healing is starting, and it's, she starts to become a different person. And God starts to draw Naomi back to him. And Naomi starts to teach Ruth about the kinsman redeemer, that the closest male, <coughs> male relative of your husband that has died is supposed to step in and help you out if you're widowed. He's supposed to help you in, some to, uh, help you out. Sometimes that literally means marrying you. Sometimes, it, <coughs> and it's, it's a weird concept of, um, sometimes they would take you on as a second wife. Now, it wouldn't be the same uh, sometimes it was, but if you were a godly man, it wasn't the wife part. It was mean you would take them under your protection. You would marry them so the land would stay in the family. So you get the concept here. Uh, now, sometimes it was the other thing, and we don't know why uh, that happened other than sin uh, that you know, entered into the world. And that's a whole other subject that we'll get to probably one day when we hit Genesis and uh, why men had so many wives which I will never understand why men choose to do that. So, but this male relative is supposed to step in if you're widowed. This hit me a little differently this past week as I uh, had a friend in Idaho who pastored up there suddenly die of a heart attack, 44 years old. He has a wife that I used to work with. She's gone on mission trips with me. Uh, she was uh, the secretary at the, uh, at the college where, where I worked, in my office and all that. So, you know, spent a lot of time together. She was on the, uh, on the um, student leadership team that I was, uh, uh, you know, in charge of or helping out with and all that kind of stuff and gone on many mission trips. But now she's widowed. Now she's searching for hope in what feels like what? A hopeless situation. Would you imagine, especially at the very beginning? I know we can all say, well, we know the, the Lord knows best. You know, don't ever go to tell, say some, uh, that to somebody who, who recently had someone die, okay? They may know that internally, but don't say that to them because that, that doesn't mean anything to them right then and there. But she's having to deal with this, how to, how to, pay, uh, how to pay the mortgage, how to raise two beautiful children by herself, being both the father and the mother, how difficult that would be. Now, I know the Lord will watch over her. The church is really stepping up. And you know me, every time I start talking about this, I start tearing up, you know. But these are the situations where we literally have to turn toward the Lord. And that's what's going on with Naomi. Naomi's gone through a tragedy. And now she's starting to figure out the Lord has this whole plan of kinsman redeemer that just might work so there's hope to hold on to. Because back then, the, the kinsman redeemer would buy your land so it would stay in the family. They would provide for you. They would protect your family. And sometimes it would even mean marrying you. 
But the law was designed for, uh, to help those who needed help. It's a little different today. So our understanding of, of this and the culture and the content is important for back then. Now we get to chapter 3. Naomi takes initiative and knowing that Boaz can redeem them and she sends Ruth to the threshing floor. And she tells Ruth, hey, make yourself look really, really, really nice before you go. And you go to him and you tell him, hey, if you're willing, I'll marry you. If you're willing, I'll do it. In fact, you know, sometimes ladies, guys just need a push. You know what I'm saying? And this is one of those situations, I think. But she, basically, Naomi says to her, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find you a home or a place of rest for you where you be well provided for? Is not Boaz, whose servant girls you have been, uh, have been a kinsman of ours? Now note this, a kinsman of ours. It's not just a kinsman for Ruth. It's a kinsman for the whole family, to redeem the whole family. The kinsman will save both women, not just one. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. So it's late March for barley or mid-May for the, for the wheat harvest, and, and the party's about to start. I mean, they, they started uh, uh, with the harvest. They take the sheaves and they you know, go to the threshing floor where they're threshed, where they're crushed, where they're, they're beat on the ground and, and, and all that. And then the winnowing starts where they separate the chaff and the wheat or, or the barley. They would throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff away. Then you bag it up and you sell it, for, uh, you know, sell it or you store it for later on. Now this would have been a really coarse flour if they would have uh, milled it a little bit, almost like a seven grain type of bread. You know what I'm saying? If you ever had that type of wheat bread, you know. So in the middle of all this, Naomi says, hey, it's time. Because Boaz doesn't get it. Boaz knows he's a kinsman redeemer. He's already acting like it. I mean, since Elimelech was a, was a relative of Boaz's, he understands he has a responsibility. He understands he needs to take care of these ladies, but he doesn't get it. He is a godly, honorable man who didn't approach Ruth or Naomi with romantic intentions, okay? For two very obvious reasons. One is he was extremely busy. This is harvest time. This is working 12 to 14 to 16 hours a day, trying to get the job done. Basically, you're eating, you're working. When you're not eating and working, you're trying to get some sleep, and that is it. Now, secondly, he is older than her. He is a great guy. He's not some creepy guy. He's a great guy, and he probably watched the younger men eyeing her. He's probably going, oh, they might make a good match. Oh, well, yeah, oh yeah, he, you can tell he, he kind of taken a liking to her. Oh, he's talking to her son. He's probably, you know, some, he, he's probably just sitting there watching all of this. And he helps her with no strings attached. And men, I think we need to understand this. I think we need to, you, you need to listen to me on this. We need to follow Boaz's lead on this. We need to step up and make sure the women of the church are cared for when they need help. Not because they can't do it themselves. I mean, I married a, a, a wife that, that got a master's degree in engineering. She can handle herself, okay? I mean, she was around, I mean, she, one of the few, you know, ladies don't always go into enge- engineering, you know? And she's one of the few that, that went through that. So she's around all the guys all the time, you know what I'm saying? So it's not because she can't do it herself. 
So don't take this as a male chauvinistic way, but in a godly way. We should take care of the women of the church in a godly fashion. The other day, my wife and I were, were eating in Chipotle, and we were le- uh, leaving, and le- we both got up, and Lisa goes, oh, I'm going to go fill up my cup. So I was already walking toward the door, and here comes this uh, family. There's a grandma and, a, and her daughter and then the granddaughter, and uh, her daughter was probably about my age or something, you know, maybe a little younger, and I go to the door, and the grandma and the little kid are being slow, so Lisa's right behind the daughter, you know, so the person our age. And I'm holding the door open because here comes my wife, and this, you know, family's coming, so I've been taught, you, you should be nice. You should hold the doors open for the lady, so I'm holding the door. Literally, she steps out of the door and literally steps between, I mean, like the door's like less than a foot away from me. I'm holding it. She steps in between me and the door and grabs the handle. Like, how dare you open the door for me? You're being a male chauvinist because you're doing this. I can take care of myself. And I'm just like, okay, I guess I won't hold open the door for my wife, who's right behind you. So I, we, we go, and I didn't say that out loud. I was saying that in my mind. I didn't say that out loud. But we go to the car, and my wife just starts cracking up laughing because she saw the whole thing. And it's sad because, you know, ladies, I want to say just relax a little bit. Just because a man steps up to help you, if he holds open the door, if he, if he holds open the car door or does anything, just say thank you. It doesn't mean that they don't think they can, you can do it yourself. It's a show of respect, if anything. So allow them to respect you. And this is what we need to do, you know, do more of in the church. Show each other respect. I was talking to Gary on Wednesday night about, uh, about school and kids, and I asked him, I said, so, you know, in, in all your years of teaching junior high, um, have the kids changed? And he kind of thought for a second, and he goes, well, he goes, it's not that the kids have changed, because kids have always been kids. It's the parents have changed. And what I gathered from the conversation is, it's not just the parents have changed, it's the parenting styles that have changed. We're not teaching children respect at all. And therefore, we're having more problems in schools. Therefore, we're having more problems in homes. And therefore, we're having more problems in society when you teach people not to respect. As Christians, we should show respect toward each other, even when we disagree. We should teach our children respect. And this is what we have here. We have two adults between Boaz and Naomi who respect each other. Who respect each other. Who were raised well. So men, if you see a single lady or even a married lady in the church that needs something, respect them enough to help them with it. Whether it's mowing a lawn or repairing something, whatever it is. And ladies, you need to be able to step up and say, you know, I kind of need some help with this. Or need help with that. Because we can't do it unless we are told. And you know men, we have to be told, right? Okay, anyway. Well, men are built to protect and to, and to serve. So we need to allow them to do that. Amen? Okay, now, now we need a better amen than that. Amen? Good, good. There you go. So, well, Boaz, he's winnowing at the threshing floor. Now, how does, how does Naomi know that, she, that he's at the threshing floor? Well, one, it's a small town. 
Two, he's highly respected in the town. He probably got to pick whatever day he wanted to go there because they would, okay, everybody sign up or whatever, and they probably had a schedule somewhere. And he's winnowing. His winnowing is going to take a while because he's apparently got a lot of land and enough that he can bless her with 30 pounds and, you know, on a daily basis almost. So, so you know, he's going to be there for a while, and she knows that he will be there, and he's a great boss, so he, she knows that he's going to be there with his men, you know, with his guys. Now, before we move on, I want to address something. Because if you just kind of glaze through, kind of bust through the book of Ruth, you kind of get the feeling that the Bible's saying something that I don't believe it's really saying. You almost get the feeling it says, you know, Naomi says, hey, hey, wait until he eats and drinks. <laughs> you know, because he's going to be drunk then, right? Well, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that. Here's the problem. When the Bible talks about drunkenness, it says they were drunk. The Bible doesn't beat around the bush on this. Uh, you know, the, um, I was talking to uh, Bob and uh, his wife about the cruise they just went on. You want to talk about people getting drunk? I mean, you know, you go on a cruise and, and some people just kind of go hog wild and, and we were laughing. It's, you know, some people, you wonder how much the bar bill was. It's probably more than the cruise was. You know what I'm saying? Well, the Bible, when, it, when a person's drunk, the Bible says they were drunk, okay? So don't read into that here um, because the Bible would have said it. So earlier he has dinner, and he's tired, and he goes and lies down and starts to saw logs. And, and she told her earlier in the day, wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. And we think, oh, great, you know, she's just dressing up. Well, Boaz is going to figure out something here. Ruth has probably been, you know, wearing rags, probably been wearing her worst clothes. Now, why would she be doing that? She's in mourning. She's in mourning. Well, yeah, some people would say, oh, she's working out in the fields. Well, yeah, you don't take your best clothes out to the fields. I understand that. But she's in mourning. What movie was, was that with Kevin Costner? He was a soldier and, uh, the, you know, with the Indians. Anyone? Dances with Wolves. Or dancing with, yeah, whichever one it's at. So, you know what I'm saying. And, and, and the Indian girl, you know, she'd lost her, her husband, uh, you know, and, and, and basically she mourned and she was wearing certain clothing and, until her, her father or, fa- or her stepfather basically says, okay, it's time for you to stop mourning, okay? That's what Naomi's doing here. She's saying, hey, it's time for you to, to stop grieving. It's been long enough. And the way you showed that you were grieving was by the clothes that you wore. This is, you know, we had the practice, what do we wear to funerals? Well, let me rephrase this. What do we used to wear to funerals? Black and always suits, you know. Nowadays, people go to funerals wearing anything. You know what I'm saying? But, I, I, you know, that's kind of the, the, the practice of, in a sense, we're, we're mourning, you know. For some reason, today's day and age, we're supposed to mourn for a week and then move on. And it's like, no, 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 no. Sometimes that, that mourning, that, that grieving time takes longer, and we need to allow people to do that. So the widow would, would also not take care of herself. So her hair probably would have been all kind of straggly and a little wire, you know, kind of like my wife before she uh, really does her hair. I mean, it's like this lion. Okay, maybe I'm getting too much information here, but uh, hair would probably be a little wild. She probably even went to the, the old fire, you know, that has cooled down and taken the ashes and, and literally wiped the ashes on her face and neck and stuff. It was the way they shouted grief to the world. 
So the scriptures say that, that uh, he will give you beauty for mourning. Well, mourning is not beautiful, is it? But God will give you mourning, I mean beauty out of mourning. So Naomi is saying, girl, you have grieved long enough. And she's the only person that probably could have said this to her. Wash yourself, wash your clothes, wash off the ashes, wash off the, the, you know, the kind of stench of death, anoint yourself with perfume. So it's not like she's going, spray, 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 spray. No, she anoints herself with perfume and oils and lotions. They were different. She's anointing herself. The, the, this probably would have been a very olive-based oil, a very fragrant and they used a lot of this in the temple, so it probably smelt like the temple area. It would almost remind Boaz of, of the things of God. And with the anointing, she is saying, I'm not a loose woman. I'm an honorable woman. I'm following God's ways. And now she's going to get out of the mourning clothes and show Boaz, I'm no longer in mourning. And I'm going to ask, you know, just ask me to marry you. I dare you to ask me. So she's coming in secret. She's coming in private. She's coming with no witnesses. She is saying, I need a kinsman redeemer, and are you willing? And she is allowing him to save face if he says no. That's what the whole secretive thing is. Wait until after the party. Wait until he goes and lies down and stuff. You know, wait until that time. And that way, if he wants to say no, she's showing respect to him. I'm available to you in a holy way for marriage, she is saying. Other kinsmen will see me now, and they might want to be the redeemer because she's all dressed up. She's all prettied up now. So this night is, is uh, it's secret, but not in an inappropriate way. She goes tonight. She, she goes at the nighttime. She knows that she's going to be safe with him. Why does she know that? She's watched him. She's watched how, how he treated people and treated the, the other girls that worked with her and stuff. So she knows she's going to be safe. She knows the reputation in the city that he holds in the, in the fields and how he's treated her with nothing but respect. So she's perfectly fa- safe. So he falls asleep around 9 or 9.30. I mean, he's tired. You know, they don't have light bulbs like we did and all that kind of. So she's kind of excited at one point, kind of scared, I would imagine. She uncovers his feet, probably does that several times. Come on, wake up, you know. He's out of it. He doesn't wake up till midnight. I wonder what she's thinking about the whole time she's sitting there waiting. I mean, I don't know how long she was there. Was it 20 minutes? Was it 10 minutes? Was it hours? I don't know. Probably kicked him a couple times. So anyway, he's startled awake, it says, or probably an angel kicking him. Hey, wake up. You got a beautiful woman at your feet. She wants to talk to you. Hey, doofus, come on. He rolls over, and he's kind of startled, and he says, who are you? Who are you? This is not a who are you moment. You know what I'm saying? This is a moment like this. The other night, my wife got up to feed Grayson in the middle of the night. And we have these monitors by our bed so we can hear him um, you know, when he's when he's breathing and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and they will beep if you don't turn them off, okay? So my wife, being a gracious woman that she is, she walks over to my side of the bed to turn my monitor off so it wouldn't wake me up. The problem was, right when she's stand, reaching for my monitor and standing right over me, my eyes pop open. You're talking about jumping. 
you know, it's like, wow, you know. And you finally figure it out, and you're like, what are you doing, you know? That's the kind of moment, you know, this is the I'm awake now moment. I might as well go feed the kid, you know. And she's like, great, you know. But, you know, Boaz is probably startled here. I am your servant, Ruth, she says. Now it starts to get romantic. Not sexual, but it starts to get romantic here. He smells this righteous woman here. All the perfume, this godly woman, fully clothed. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. Wow. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the grandson of Ruth, King David. Kind of in a terrible story type of way. King David commits this, this huge sin. He commits adultery. And, and he goes even further. He, he has the woman's husband killed. And uh, all kinds of sins that, that went along with this. And, and now there's a baby on the way. And the Lord basically told him, hey, this baby is going to heaven. You're, this baby is not going to be under your care. And David is just pleading with God and pleading with God. And God has different plans. I don't know why, but God just had different plans. And, God, you know, David, it says here in the Scripture, uh, first, 2 Samuel 12, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into the house and spent the nights laying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him uh, to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food uh, with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, and I would be afraid to say, say anything to him too. While the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. He may kill the messenger. He may try to kill himself. We don't know. He's been so crazy lately. And it says here in verse 19, David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, and he washed He put on lotions. He changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. The author of Ruth writes after the life of David. And the author of Ruth is showing us that Ruth's encounter was much like David's encounter. A little different, but afterward, what does he do? He gets up, he washes, he anoints, and he goes to be with the Lord. Just like Ruth. She washes, she anoints, and she goes to be with a type of Christ. As we talk about uh, that Boaz represents the image of Christ here. Ruth is the image of the church here. And Naomi is the image of the Jewish nation. And she's preparing herself to meet Christ, so to speak. So the, the original audience would have caught all of this. And Naomi tells her, put on your best garments. And, and the word here is simla, and it means outer cloak. Your best outer cloak, your best covering. This probably would have been her previous wedding dress. Okay, And, and don't think of the whole thing. I mean, this, this cloak would have covered her almost from, from head to toe. And it was different than the morning cloak. It would, have, it would have been a beautiful, strong, but soft material. It's kind of how you complete your outfit. You know, the, you know ladies, you know what, some yes or no, you know. You have the closet full of stuff, and then you go get the one thing that kind of completes the outfit. 
That's what this would have been. Now, immediately we all think of white, right? Well, not necessarily back then, but this would have been her best. Boaz is confronted at night. He smells the anointing. He wakes up and he smells this. He might have even brushed her, her cloak that she was wearing and realized, these aren't your morning clothes. These aren't your clothes that you've been wearing. And she says, I'm your maidservant. Put your wing over me. Be Yahweh's agent and be my man. It's kind of romantic for those that like this kind of stuff. But this is also like us when we go to Christ. When we go to Christ and say, Lord, cover me. You have paid the price. Cover me. So again, now how do we know nothing inappropriate happened? Well, my response is this. Have you read the Bible? The Bible doesn't hold back. Again, like the drunkenness. When, when somebody's drunk, they were drunk. When David had sex out of, out of wedlock, David had sex out of wedlock. The Bible says so. Go back and look at, I mean, well, maybe not, but I'm just saying, you know, you read it, it is there. So I don't think anything inappropriate happened here because the Bible would have told us. I mean, read Genesis. The Bible tells us what happened. The Bible would have been graphic here if anything graphic happened. I mean, to a certain extent, okay? But verse 10, it goes on, it says in Ruth 3, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you have showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men. I've been watching, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. And my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character because everybody's been watching you. Although it is true that I am, ne- I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And we're going to talk about this in greater detail uh, the next time, Lord willing. But uh, in verse 14, it goes on, it says, So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could, uh, anyone could be recognized. And he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. So I think what he's doing is, is talking to the, uh, maybe a servant or something because he grabs another servant because this is what he does. He says to her, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. This is her best garment that she has. Bring it here and hold it out. When she did, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her, and then he went back to town. Now, again, the word here is simla, the, 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 the covering. And what he's doing here is he's filling it up with lots of grain. Pretty much that she probably couldn't carry it in one trip. She probably had to make a couple of trips. Six measures of grain is like six uh, ephahs. It's like 180 pounds of grain. Now, why would a man give a woman 180 pounds of grain? He's paying her dowry. Back then, it was customary to, to pay the, the family. She's basically, he's basically saying, give this to Naomi. Give this to, to your owner, because back then, the, you know, the, the lady, I hate to say this, but the ladies were owned. They were part of the, you know, in that sense. Give this to them. I am paying for you. This is a payment for the payment that's to come. 
I'm going to redeem you tomorrow morning if at all possible. And he sends her away early in the morning to protect his reputation and her reputation. But also, I think there's another motive here. So the other, uh, you know, the other men around wouldn't see how beautiful she was. And maybe the other kinsman redeemer wouldn't go, huh, interesting. It goes on in verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the, for the man will not rest until this matter is settled today. What a beautiful picture this is of redemption. The whole idea of being redeemed. I mean, think about where they came from. The terrible situation they were in, what they've gone through, all the heartache and all the, the pain and the thinking about what happened over and over and over. To the point where God is sitting there going, I'm going to take care of you. I'm blessing you out in this field where you're working. To the point where it's like, okay, I have a kinsman redeemer that is going to love you. It's going to protect you. It's going to take care of you like you wouldn't believe. Naomi understands that he will not rest until this matter is settled. And Boaz is a type of Christ. This shows us that Christ will not rest until the matter is settled. Christ is not up in heaven going, okay, I did my part. No, Christ is up in heaven waiting and and building and, and preparing a place for you and I. And then when that is done, He is going to come back, and He is going to redeem us for once and for all. What a beautiful picture of redemption this is. What a romantic picture this is for for you guys that that want to go that direction. This is is just unbelievable. And for for the others that are more cut and dry, I mean, the redemption factor here is unbelievable, that He is going to do what He says. What a great thing this is. Christ is going to do what he said he was going to do. And we need to hold on to that hope. We need to hold on to it. Because this world is a world that will tear us up, isn't it? This world will drag us. This world will do what what they they used to do. When they really wanted to to hurt somebody, they'd tie them up and put them behind a horse and drag them around or, or behind a car. This world will do that to us. But we have a Redeemer. We have a hope that we hold on to. And that is Jesus Christ, the ultimate Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll pray and continue on our day. Lord, I I thank you so much for being the hope that we hold on to. I thank you for being there for for those times when we don't even realize you're there. I thank you for working in the background. That you had a plan, and you just didn't let that plan sit. You acted upon it. You sent your son to die for us, to be the ultimate redeemer. And I pray that we're like Ruth, that we come to you and say, Cover me, Lord. Protect me, Lord. Put your wings over me, Lord. Allow me to prosper in this world that is so evil. In this world that is so corrupted because they've gone away from you, Lord. I pray that you not only bless us, but you bless those that are around us because, because you are who you are. 
For those that are hopeless, you are the hope. For those that are the desperate, you are the Redeemer. For those that need a Savior, you are that Savior. And we love you for that, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may He stir the hope that is in your heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Turn your ear to heaven and hear the noises.